Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. I'm really excited today to dig into time management and how to optimize our performance and get out of some bad habits. I'm very happy to be joined by Scott Miller, who's an executive and leadership coach who specializes in time management. Scott, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. We have to work on our timing, I guess, in this episode. So I have to make sure that everything is on point. We always begin by learning a little more about our guests, how you started on your professional journey that got you to this point in your career. Can you catch us up? I know you have an interesting background. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, if we're talking about my interest in time management, that goes back to, you know, when I was a kid, when I was in school, I was, you know, considered a quote, smart kid. I always did really, really well on all those standardized tests they had us take. I generally got good grades. You know, my teachers and friends always said I was, quote, smart. Hmm. That was in a gifted program. And the one thing that I didn't learn to do really well in school was study because a lot of things, you know, were easy for me. If something was easy or it was interesting, I would just do it. Yeah. But if it was hard or if it was boring, I would put it off to the last minute or maybe not do it at all. And I'm sure, you know, there are maybe quite a few people listening right now who can nodding their heads and they can relate to that and have had a similar experience and you can kind of get away with it up to a certain point. So that, you know, I think maybe reinforced or maybe even was the origin of some, you know, bad habits that I get into or unhelpful habits, procrastination, you know, and and it went on for a while. I was fortunately able to, you know, live a pretty happy and successful life. I, uh, I spent 15 years working, roughly 15 years working as a skydiving instructor got interested in skydiving when I was in college and started mm. jumping out of airplanes and eventually got my certification, became an instructor. Talk about a place where time management is important. Skydiving is probably among the most important time management exercises of your life. That is probably pretty fair to say. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually some really interesting lessons in time management. You know, when I'm talking with executives and I'm talking with leaders, there's some really good analogies there for, you know, when you're planning a skydive, when you're skydiving and some of the, you know, lessons from that that apply to everyday life and business. So yeah, I did that for a while. I decided to move in a different direction. Eventually ended up working for a test preparation company. Yeah. Teaching prep courses for the LSAT, the law school admission test, which I've now I've never been to law school. I'm not a lawyer. This is for people who are not familiar with the LSAT. This is the test that someone would take if they want to go to law school. So it's not about law. It's basically a test of logic and advanced reading comprehension. Yeah. And I happen to have a a pretty good score on that test, contemplating going to law school. But with that, my teaching experience, I ended up, you know, working for this test preparation company. This is where our networks and career paths overlap. We passed each other briefly while in the Kaplan and Manhattan prep universe. We both have test prep roots. I think I do understand a lot of what you're talking about, both being good at these tests, but then also being sharp allows you to procrastinate and get away with it. (laughs) So it's tough to kind of curb some of those habits. That's the test prep. And there's a lot of performance coaching and teaching and focusing on that that is really critical to test prep. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when tutoring people, a lot of our students are people with really busy lives. They're studying for this very, very difficult test while they're also working full-time, you know, 50 plus hours a week or going to college full-time with a very demanding, you know, academic schedule. So I often say that when I was tutoring the test content that these people wanted to learn, that was the main course. And as the side dish, I was helping them with time management and basically got interested in coaching. I went through a coach training and certification program 
and decided to, you know, change directions there a little bit. And I basically made the side dish the main course. Mm -hmm. So now I work with people on time management, on developing, you know, better time management skills. And really what my main interest is, is helping people use their time in a satisfying way. Mm -hmm. I don't really don't care if you end up getting more done in a week. If that's what you want to do, great. That's what we'll work on. Right. But really the goal, and I think what people actually want is at the end of the day or at the end of the week, people want to be satisfied with what they've done. That's what I work to help people do. Yeah, there's a lot in there, especially around teaching skydiving. And then test prep is a much more relaxed version of skydiving in that it's high stakes. It's not quite as high stakes as skydiving, but the idea is it's go time and I need to be focused and you know make the most of my time here. As someone who performed well on these tests, you understood that element, but that's different, I think, than being able to turn on that level of focus when it's not go time and maybe when it's doing something that you're less naturally good at. Can you talk about how you help people over that hurdle so that, you know, they lean into the hard work? I've heard the expression eating the frog, you know, first thing in the morning, you're supposed to do the things that are hard. Pomodoros are another mm -hmm. term that's out there where like, I'm just going to do a focused 25 minute sprint, get this thing done and then move on to the next thing. You know, when we're facing a deadline, an important deadline, like you're a student, you have a really important paper. That's the majority of your grade and it's due very, very soon. And you have not done any work on that. You're putting yourself in that skydive situation, right? Mm -hmm. Where you almost don't have a choice or maybe you don't feel like you have a choice. It's now or never. And, yeah. and you have that looming deadline facing you, like the planet coming at you when you're skydiving. <laughs> and so those are actually for a lot of people, not difficult situations to deal with in terms of being able to act and get things done. I mean, mm -hmm. that was certainly something that I experienced or something a lot of people experience. But like you're saying, it's maybe some of the more mundane tasks that we know are important, but are easier to put off. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that people often struggle with. And there are a number of different approaches. You, you mentioned the Pomodoro technique. That's a great approach. Eat the frog, right? What's the thing you want to do the least? Do that first. Mm -hmm. But what I find, what I think is really important is that different things will work for different people. You know, we're not really all the same. There's a lot of desire to find the answer. So we want to go find that book that will tell us exactly how to do this. We want to find that app, that website, that one technique that will work. And what I often tell people is if you really want to change your habits and change your way of doing things, it really helps to look at it as an experiment. Hmm. You know, you might try something like the Pomodoro technique, try it yeah. for a week, see how hmm. it works. And if it's really not getting you where you want to go, that's totally fine. Maybe there's a way to change it. Like the Pomodoro technique, for those who maybe aren't familiar with it, the idea is you set a timer, you use a little kitchen timer. You set it for 25 minutes. And during that 25 minute period, you're just going to work on a project. You pick a task. And during that 25 minute period, you're not going to check your phone. You're not going to talk to anybody. Somebody comes in your office, you're going to say, hey, hang on, I'll get back to you in, in, in a bit. And then after that 25 minute period, you set the timer again for five minutes, you take a break. Mm -hmm. And then you do another 25 minute period of work and then another five minute break. And after a few of those periods, then you do a, a longer break. So talking about this being an experiment, People often say, this doesn't really work for me because once I get on a roll, I want to keep working. And so like I make it a 45 minute work period with a five minute break. And that's totally fine. Yeah. Not thinking that you instantly have to find the right answer to solve all your problems because that just puts a lot more pressure on us. But thinking, let me try different things. Let me find what works for me. That's mm -hmm. one, I think, really important aspect of changing these habits, which is really what we're trying to do. 
And then also you touched on what you measure. Like, how do you know that focusing on time management will be better for me? And I think there's a tendency to focus perhaps too much on productivity or output rather than including well-being and work-life balance and a lot of the awakenings that I think folks have arrived at in light of the challenges of the last few years. Can you talk a little bit about that as well, where, you know, how do you engage to understand, you know, A, whether it's working and related question, whether you're measuring the right things to, to figure out whether your approach to time management is working. Yeah, there, there are some great ideas to explore there. And one of them is just how realistic are your expectations? And this is something that I think quite a few people struggle with is you'll have all these things that you feel like you need to do and you feel like you need to get done. And sometimes, you know, what I'll do with someone is just sit down and say, okay, let's make the list of all the things you expect to get done today. Mm. Now, next to each item, write down how long it will take, just one thing at a time, based on your previous experience or whatever information you have. And sometimes what you'll see is you end up with more than 24 hours when you add up all the times. And so part of it is, you know, there's there's an important step of prioritizing. How do we decide what should be done or what needs to be done or what is the most important thing that I want to do? And that can be a really tough pill for people to swallow because very often initially it feels like everything's important. Mm-hmm. You know, well, how can I choose, take these 10 things on my list and say, no, I'm not going to do four of them. But realistically, you know, when you start exploring that, we don't really have an option because we don't have 26 hour days to work with. And, you know, like it or not, you have to sleep sometimes. So there is the element of, first of all, just being realistic. Another technique that can work really well is Ryder Carroll's bullet journal method, which I'm a big fan of. I really enjoyed something I use myself. Ryder Carroll, the author who wrote the book, describes it as a mindfulness exercise disguised as a productivity technique. And the idea is when you start being really kind of ruthless with yourself in being realistic about what we can get done in a day and being Mm. realistic or, or ruthless about what's really important, then you start to be able to make better decisions and you start to really be able to focus your time on the things that you really want as opposed to all these ideas about what we have to get done, which may or may not be, you know, aligned with our values and our goals. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to wear the parent of a four-year-old cap here and say Mm -hmm. the level to which you build structured versus unstructured time into a day is important when you're four. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that it's still important pretty much throughout our lives where you can almost become too focused on productivity outputs within sprint sessions to the point where you're almost mechanizing your root metaphor of what it means to be human when frequently what makes us great and where those moments of insights or creativity or transcendence happen is when I'm able to step out of a more regimented structure of time. How do you think about that? How do you think about balancing the productivity sprints versus allowing time for reflection and for pause and for play so that you can really fully achieve what you're looking to do? That's a great question. There are probably two ways to think about unstructured time. One is just rest. You know, time where you really can do whatever you want. If you want to sit in your pajamas and play video games, like you do that. And and the interesting part of that is there are people who have a hard time doing that. There are people who, you know, they've worked hard. They've been very successful. They equate success with working hard. And very often helping people prepare for the LSAT, 
You see this all the time where people will be studying every day, day after day, seven days a week. You know, you'll ask somebody, when's the last time you took a break and just spent a whole day without doing any LSAT studying at all? And they'll say, yeah. oh, I don't even remember, or like mm. six months. And usually the reason I'm asking them that question is because they've hit a wall. Yeah. They're burned out. They're frustrated. Their practice test scores are not going up at all. And it's just, it's a very classic example of what a ton of research is showing now, which is that rest is an extremely important and valuable part of what helps us be productive. So when we're not getting enough rest, when, and you know, this goes for people who are preparing for the LSAT, this goes for, you know, college students in working on their, you know, classwork, this goes for executives at, you know, large companies, this goes for entrepreneurs. You maybe for a certain amount of time can get away with not getting enough rest, but at a certain point, you're going to run into that wall. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a ton of research showing, like, for example, learning science showing that you will actually learn certain subjects better when you take days off. Right. That if you study seven days a week, there's a certain point where your brain's just not going to absorb the information or not make progress. Mm -hmm. The theory is that when you're not actively studying something, your brain is making important connections, you know, wiring those neurons together and cleaning things up in the background. Mm -hmm. It's actually that background work that's crucial. It's often difficult to convince very successful people of this is that breaks are not a luxury. You're not slacking. You're not giving in to laziness you're doing something that's valuable and important and necessary. Mm -hmm. so that's one aspect of that, you know, unstructured time. And the other aspect is people do often find that, you know, when you have every single moment of your day planned out and you have whatever your bullet journal or your Google calendar or your, you know, Microsoft Outlook task list and, or Asana or whatever you're using, and it's all planned out, you know, the work that we're doing, if you just think, realistically about the work that most of us do, whether we're a vice president at a company, whether we're an entrepreneur, whether we're a student in college or in a graduate program, we're not making car parts. We're not standing at a machine operating that machine every day, which, you know, is something once you learn to do it, it's pretty repetitive, you know, and you can go and do that every day. What we're doing is creative work. Mm -hmm. We're doing work that requires creativity, critical thinking, judgment, and all of those things require downtime and require rest. And sometimes that unstructured time is when you come up with your best ideas. I remember reading a story about Thomas Edison, who used to uh, sit at his desk and he'd hold two ball bearings in his hand. And he would just sit there and as he would start to doze off and fall asleep, his hand would relax and the ball bearings would hit the floor and wake him up. Yeah. And that apparently, you know, according to legend, is when he got some of his best ideas. Mm -hmm. Similar story, I think, with Pablo Picasso. He used to hold keys in his hand. And when he started falling asleep and the keys dropped, he'd wake up and go paint something. So it can be really important to put some, and if you haven't tried this, maybe this is a useful experiment to do, put some unstructured time into your schedule and just do whatever. Sit there with the ball bearings in your hand and, you know, start to fall asleep or you know, people often find that they get their best ideas when they're at the gym or when they're falling asleep. You know, I've heard right. other people say that. So mm -hmm. yeah, like finding some time for that can be really valuable because of the mental creative work that we're doing, the problem solving work. The idea that people were able to innovate and come up with new ideas and invent things prior to the overhead showerhead still is beyond me. A lot of my best <laughs> ideas come to me when my head is immersed in some warm water in the morning 
or really whatever uh-huh. you needed. But it is interesting. You do need those breaks. You need that fallow time for your mental fields to grow. And then at the same time, you know, you mentioned some of the learning science around spaced repetition and interleaving. You know, if you're just working the same ideas all the time, it's not as good. Part of what you're being tested on is the ability to pull back information that you may have lost a closer connection to. So you're rebuilding some of those neural pathways that you're talking about. The thing that I I start thinking about when you talk about your calendar is I'm very proud of myself where we've made it about halfway into the podcast at least. And I still haven't talked about artificial intelligence, but (laughs) here's where that happens now is a lot of people's calendars now are being supported by Cortana or by AI or their Mm -hmm. Calendly is allowing something close to a virtual assistant to help them manage their calendars. How do you think about how technology is coming into play and how we relate to being our most productive selves and some of the tools, particularly the digital ones, but also if you think analog makes more sense, you know, feel free to go there. But I do wonder where all this stuff is evolving, especially with really the renaissance around artificial intelligence that we're really just starting to see. Artificial intelligence is, you know, the advances are so fresh and so new. I mean, we're talking about doing things with these tools that four months ago, you know, didn't even really exist or didn't exist the way they do now. But when it comes to technology, I think it really helps to be critical users of technology and really ask ourselves tough questions like, does this help? Because technology is so appealing. I I heard again and again, people tell me when they're trying to organize their time differently and they'll say, oh, you know, I tried these apps, but none of them really worked. And when you start looking at why they don't work, you know, and I've looked at a lot of different apps too. Sometimes what happens with an app is just there's a certain amount of overhead of using it. So, oh, you know, if you want to be able to use this app really well, you have to spend time. You got to sit down for a half hour and read the manual or go watch Mm -hmm. some YouTube videos or something. And somebody who's really already feeling overwhelmed, that's not going to be an appealing idea for them. Now, there are other apps that are maybe a little more easier and intuitive to use, but sometimes what ends up happening is you get shoehorned into their way of thinking Mm -hmm. or their way of organizing things. And that doesn't work for people either. They feel like it's too restrictive. So I have my own theory. Maybe I hope this, if I ever become famous for something, you know, and this is what it is, that would be great. I call it the paper principle. So the idea is the reason that we have so many computers in our lives is because a computer can often do something more quickly or more easily than a human can with pen and paper, Hmm. or computers can do things that we simply can't do with pen and paper. So if you're looking at an app, you have to ask yourself that, does this do something better than I can do with pen and paper? And if not, this is the paper principle. Hmm. If the answer is no, then do it with pen and paper. Hmm. Interesting. And people often find that just having a simple journal, you know, whether you're using like a full bullet journaling routine or just simply, you know, you have a journal where you write down your to-do list every day and you write notes and do some free form journaling. Some people are really returning to that kind of a workspace because it doesn't have the technological overhead. One of the apps that I like best, that I use the most, what I would call a productivity app or time management app, it's called Task Paper. It's for the Mac, but there are probably many, many equivalents for Windows also. And all it is, is basically a very simple text editor, not even any fancy fonts or anything. You just type text in. It's very good for making lists and organizing lists, moving list items around. Mm -hmm. So you can take items off one list and put it in another list. You can, you know, have nested lists, but it's very, very simple, basic text editor. 
no bells and whistles. And that works best for me because it most closely mirrors just what I can do with pen and paper. That's really interesting. It does remind me of some of the thinking around the extended mind and the idea that we need to get beyond a very narrow, limited self-understanding and that in reality, when you write things or externalize things that you think about, you know, the affordances of paper, the idea of putting things up on the wall or to kind of decorate your life, how those things do wind up influencing your behavior and your sense of well-being, your sense of productivity. The flip side of productivity is meetings and Zoom fatigue, the time in which I'm required to be on camera or required to be in an office and sitting in a room and frequently I'm not getting anything done. So I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on some of the challenges in controlling your time. And if you have any guidance or advice to folks who are struggling with how much of their time is spent in meetings at the expense of getting things done. Oh, absolutely. It's a really great topic, especially in the corporate world, but you know, in education too. I mean, I'm sure there are maybe professors or K-12 teachers listening to this who would love to be in fewer meetings than yeah. they, they already are. So, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to look at how we conduct meetings and why we conduct meetings and find ways to just spend less time in meetings. I think that's where it needs to start. I remember hearing a story about, I think it was the owner of a company, a CEO, who would just randomly walk into a meeting. This was back maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, is when people were doing more in-person and more rarely, you know, online. But this guy would walk into a meeting and point at somebody and say, what is the purpose of this meeting? And if they couldn't immediately answer, he would say, why are we having this meeting? You know, so everybody in the room should clearly understand what is the purpose of the meeting? Yeah. And then once you know the purpose, another question I might ask, if I was going to randomly walk into a meeting, I would point at somebody and say, why are you here? What yeah. are you gaining from being in this meeting right now? And if they just kind of shrug and say, I don't really need to be here. You know, my coworker here, we're both on the same team and, you know, she yeah. can give me a report when we're done. Why are you both here? You know, you talk about Zoom fatigue. I mean, you know, after teaching a lot, I've taught a lot of live online courses. I've done a lot of online tutoring. I'm a big fan of having people on camera, but that's because the type of workshops and classes and other online events that I've run are very interactive. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm leading a workshop, people are talking to me. I'm talking to them. They're talking to each other. So then it's valuable to have the camera on. But if you're just passively listening, if it's that kind of meeting where all you need to do is sit there and listen and you want to have your camera off, why not? Mm -hmm. So there's value in having camera on, but I think we also need to use that judiciously and intentionally. But there are so many things we can do where maybe it would be possible to have fewer meetings. You know, could this be an email? Why are we having this meeting? What is the purpose? Yeah. Do all these people need to be here? What is each person gaining from being here in person? You know, having an agenda. Did this need to be an hour meeting or it was scheduled for an hour and we ended up being here for an hour and a half? Why did that happen? Right. If we had a clearer agenda and somebody holding us accountable and saying, hey, this is a great topic, but it's not on the agenda, you know, we need to do this some other time. So there are so many just, you know, practical things in the way that we conduct meetings that could actually help us maybe have fewer or have shorter meetings. And I think that's the, the ideal place to start. The other tip I've heard is particularly with online, more frequent and shorter. One-on-ones and check-ins really can be five, 10 minutes where it's mostly human to human, especially if you are remote, if you are distributed, it's more like, hey, let's share some quality time. Let's actually both be human together for a few minutes. And yes, we are on camera. Yes, we're sitting at our desks. And that shared moment together 
it's more about that than it is about killing an hour. If we're spending an hour together, unless there's a, a working document or an output on the other end, it does start to beg some questions. We're getting close to time, Scott. So I want to make sure if there's anything else we haven't touched on that you wanted to get into. Folks are thinking about the future. They're thinking about the future of learning, the future of work. You know, you have a lot of experience with performance improvement and coaching. Any other topics or ideas that you want to make sure we hit on before we start to wrap up? I'd love to circle back and tie this all back into what we were talking about at the very beginning and, you know, my whole motivation for doing what I do, which is, you know, my academic experience. When I first started coaching, it was something that I was interested in doing. And I ended up, you know, veering more into leadership and executive coaching just because the people who are interested in working with me. But academic coaching, there are so many opportunities, I think. There are students who are, are struggling with time management. And very often it's looked as a disciplinary problem. Mm -hmm. Right. We'll look at the student. We know this student has the capacity to do the work and succeed. And so when they're not doing it, why don't you want to? Well, you would do better if you just worked harder. You're just not applying yourself. You could do this if you want to. You just don't want to. That's the way we think about these students. Instead of saying, well, let's look at, you know, how do you structure your study time? How do you plan your study time? Do you know about the Pomodoro technique? You know, are there ways to basically teach students how to manage their time better, how to structure their studying better. And you can get amazing results from that. I've worked with some students in some very demanding academic programs, and we didn't really do anything that crazy. It was just some simple techniques to help them think differently about how they organize their time, and it made a huge difference. So I think there are lots of opportunities in education to explore that and give young people the tools that they need. And these are going to be tools that they're not just going to use in high school, in college but tools that are going to serve them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. That's something that, that I would have loved to have had the opportunity to do when I was younger and I think would have made a difference. And it's part of what I'm trying to do now and yeah. help people with. Yeah, it's really interesting to me, the evolution from the way we maybe traditionally have thought about teaching and the way we think about coaching and supporting and doing some of the things that you're describing and how similar in some ways the type of coaching you might give to a leader or an executive is very similar to what you might give to someone who's trying to prepare for a high stakes test or do some of these other things that are focused more on academic performance. We're about to wrap up here, Scott. I want to give you one more chance for any closing thoughts. If folks want to learn more about what you're doing, is there somewhere they should go? How do they track you down? And then we could probably wrap up with your closing remarks. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So if people want to learn more about me, my website is scottmillercoaching.com. I also have a podcast Task, Time, Energy, the Purpose-Filled Productivity Podcast. We explore a lot of topics surrounding time management and how we think about time and you know, think about being productive. So those are the ways to learn more about what I do. In terms of closing thoughts, I think you know, probably the most useful thing that I've learned in exploring these topics is we often tend to blame ourselves when we're not using our time the way we would like to or achieving the results we want to. And what the research shows again and again and again is you know, don't beat yourself up. There are very natural reasons why we procrastinate. There are natural reasons why we don't use our time maybe the way we want to. And these are things that can be changed, habits that we can change. That's just learning the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic stuff. Scott Miller is a leadership and executive coach specializing in time management. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me here. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.